0: I was with a friend and we were shopping through the market Wan Wanchai and this market lady kind of like grabs me and I'm like oh lady <laughs> you know I was like what's going on here and she takes her phone and she's like rubbing my arm like you know if you have like a, a spot on you or a smudge and she's like trying to like rub my arm and I'm like what in the hell <laughs> what's going on here my friend who is a, a local person was with me she starts speaking to her in Cantonese because she's also aghast. And like, what the fuck? The lady is claiming to her that she's never seen a black person. You know, she's never seen them before. She's heard of them like I'm a unicorn. And she's never actually seen one before. And she just really wanted to to touch me. And like, I don't know what she's saying. Like, I can't see it. My friend's translating. But just looking at her and how she's looking at me and talking to my friend, she's looking at me like I'm magical. And I'm like, oh, it was definitely a moment for me, because especially coming from the U.S., you know about prejudice, right? You hate that people have. But to see someone coming from a background of really pure ignorance, who in some sense, even though it's like a really wacky way to do it, is trying to connect with something unfamiliar. And I was like, really like, oh. Because she was all like smiley and happy. And I was like, honey, you just can't be grabbing up on black people like that. <laughs> but, but she was really like, this made her."
1: Welcome to Homegrown, the podcast where we aim to inform, inspire, and entertain personal stories of black expats. We're your hosts, Louisa and the fantastic folk.
2: So our guest this week is Alicia Beal, who's a 38-year-old that moved to Hong Kong from the US 14 years ago. She's the owner of The Aftermath, which is an arts and cultural event space and social club. And we're so excited to have her on the show. Alicia, welcome. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome, welcome.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for that monologue. Like, You've given it context in a way that I I don't think people have given before, which is that an older generation that has not had like the Internet or like, yes, Hong Kong is a multicultural metropolitan place. But like if you go back a certain time or a generation, it wasn't that. And so it is bizarre to see some of the things that we take as just completely normal especially for our generation when she walked up to you and started rubbing <laughs> trying to rub it off away you said that she was smiling so i guess you weren't like sort of in attack mode you were kind of bewildered
0: yeah i was definitely bewildered like i think i attract crazy people <laughs> so i think i was a bit like <laughs> oh no, <it> was
1: <laughs> and this was soon after coming to hong kong or like a few weeks in or something like that
0: it was like definitely within the first year i came i definitely remember that i think i was just like oh this is crazy person
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so you've been in hong kong 14 years so how old were you when you first arrived
0: I was 23.
1: You were 23, 14 years ago. What was Hong Kong like then for a 23 year old Because we've had people on have been here for a long time, but they were like older, probably already starting their families at that time. 23. What was it like being 23 in Hong Kong 14 years ago?
0: It was great. It was a lot of fun. Like, I'm so <laughs> happy I came at 23. It's a completely different experience because, of course, like over the last couple of years, my experience has been as an adult, but when I came at 23, I was still very much young adult mm-hmm. and I was growing into my adulthood and, you know, maturing and learning, you know, my life lessons. Yeah, right.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so at the start of it, I mean, it was really fun. I wasn't aware that Hong Kong was an international kind of more developed city because when I first came to Hong Kong I came with the idea that it was like A small China city right, okay. mm-hmm. In the mainland you know, They have Shanghai, Beijing, massive cities But I am I guess my ignorance I didn't know much about Hong Kong or China I had met my best friend In university At Rutgers University in New Jersey We were roommates And she was from Hong Kong And I was like ooh Hong Kong what kind of place is this she doesn't know nothing about nothing <laughs> it must be a small place right right all she wants to do is sing karaoke we gotta go find <laughs> try the to find the karaoke place and that's all she wants to do I was like I was thinking of it as definitely a much smaller foreign place and I came to Hong Kong only to stay here, maybe about nine months or so, to travel around Southeast Asia and to explore and to get a more of a unique experience of the world. But then I came and I was like, "Damn, it's fun! <laughs> it's like a less dangerous New York." <laughs> <laughs> actually,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So you you came out initially for that sort of nine months, more just being kind of young and fancy free. And then ended up staying 14 years. That's that's pretty significant. What shifted for you? And like, did it feel like home then?
0: Not so much. Like, I think when I first came, I always thought that my future. I think this is a very kind of young person idea. It doesn't really quite matter where you are, is that I thought my future was always ahead of me. So more or less, I was like, oh, this is for now. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to be an English teacher. Like, the life I was living was for now. Yeah, yeah. And then later, I would have my real life. Mm, You know, my career would be set. And that's when I would, you know, be in my future that I had fought for myself.
2: Right, right, right.
0: I didn't quite realize, you know, you build your future. It doesn't just come to you. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, I was just, you know, doing my thing. In the sense, like, uh, it's very easy to become an English teacher. Like, I came here, I met a group of other English teacher type people, and it's so easy money. I started doing tutorial. Then, from tutorial, I became a net teacher. And that's really good money. That native English teaching money is big money. And I was even doing it on the EDB level, but like, yeah, the net teacher level, it's that's like, that's 80,000 Hong Kong dollars a month, you know, plus housing. Wow. wow, wow.
2: wow. <laughs> what? Wow. I'm like, I was in the wrong career. <laughs> <Yeah>. Are you kidding?
0: <laughs> yeah. So if you get to those higher levels, um, doing, if you're the local school system, you can't leave it. Right. It's- mm. yeah. But for me, I never got there. So that's why I'm broke. <laughs> After a tutorial, I went to be a teaching assistant at CDU and then I went to the vocational training council to work in their IV, which is a vocational training and English teaching for vocation. And I was a net teacher there, which was still pretty good money. It wasn't like, you know, EDB net teacher money, but it was still good and very stable and fairly easy enough to do it's like a job where you come in you do your work and you go home and you don't have work with you yeah. yeah yeah so you can just leave it all at the office and with that kind of setup you know you can pay your school loans back home and stuff like that you can travel all around you know you could go to Singapore to Vietnam you could have Thailand Cambodia you can go to Japan you can make your big trip to Europe
2: so it literally funds your life yeah like without stressing it too much essentially
1: yeah and what is life quotation marks other than that you know like you're traveling around you're working but
0: well, you can always spend more than you make like there's always room in a way to spend more than you make and like i've hit that situation where also here in hong kong there's often people who make way more than you do because it's such a small circle right so the lifestyle can catch up with you really really quick like all the brunches, all the going out, nice restaurants. If your friend has more money and they're planning the trip, they don't want to stay at a hostel.
1: Right, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, they want to stay at the nice hotel, and it really catches up to you. That was a life lesson for me, for sure. Was to to learn to live within my means, and what does that mean? You know, for my lifestyle and stuff like that. But it's so easy, you know, in Hong Kong to. To live and i had a really good group of friends they're basically my family if anything happened to me like i had to go to the hospital or i ran in trouble with the law they would have my back like there are people who you know if i couldn't call them they'd be calling somebody to find me yeah. 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 yeah
2: yeah and that's so important yeah
0: it's so important when you're living abroad not with your family not within your culture not within your language it's crucial to stay for a long time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. yeah,
2: to to have that sort of family unit in a sense around you, like all of you obviously being away from your core families, but creating that in each other. Can I ask, because I, in your monologue, you said your the friend you were with was local. And was that the same yeah. as your best friend that you were visiting from, <laughs> from uni? Okay. Can I ask, in terms of your mix of friends, because something we've heard talking to a lot of expats is that You come in here and like, yes, you make friends, but oftentimes it's only really the expat community that your friends are in. Whereas you obviously had quite a unique perspective where you actually had like a local friend. So in terms of your friend group, is it mixed? Have you been able to connect more with locals or other than that friend, is your friend group predominantly expats?
0: I think there's a predominance of expats, but it's kind of like a mixed expat experience as well as some locals like yes my best friend is born raised ish in hong kong i think that ish is a very local thing because there's so many local people who have gone to school abroad in the uk and the usa with the case of my best friend she went to the uk after 97 so her parents did that whole like oh no the handover is happening it's 97 let's get out of here so they went to the UK, but then they came back. Cuz they're like, "Oh, it's okay, it's straight." <laughs> so, so for the most part, they were like, you know, it's okay to live in Hong Kong, so she lived here for the most of her life. You know, she speaks fluent English. She is very artistic, a bit eccentric. God, I got to hope she doesn't. <laughs> <lie>. <laughs> She definitely was the first person to teach me any Cantonese. Like when we were in university, she used to be like, Ah, Alicia, you're so mafana. <laughs> uh, you know, she'd be like, yeah, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I actually first started to learn Cantonese. And then coming here, I knew about things like Mid Autumn Festival already, and so a bit more about uh, Lunar New Year. Because when we were in university, my friend was looking for her community. Yeah, of course. So I went with her to like the Hong Kong club meetings, right. Right, the right. Cantonese club. I love that. You know, yeah. I saw people play Mahjong, and because she was trying to reach out to her community. So when they had like Mid Autumn Moon Festival stuff, I went. You know, I learned how to use chopsticks and stuff before I came.
1: Right, 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 right. Awesome.
0: So it was like we switched places, you mm. know which is very interesting, but I just did the very black thing where I just come to visit and I don't leave. <laughs> 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 she came and then she was like, okay, I did what I said I'm going to do now I'm going to go back home. And, then, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm like oh no. Oh. Yeah, but that has made a big difference. Yeah. Having her here.
1: So I'm guessing that 14 years ago, there weren't that many black people in Hong Kong and there wasn't much of a community then. Is that wrong? I mean, compared to now.
0: Well, I think like it was a time where definitely like if I saw black person, there was somebody like I, you know, I knew I'd be like, hey, they'd be like, hey, because, you know, (laughs) you kept running into each other because it's a small world. And there weren't that many. I have seen, especially with French people moving more so into Hong Kong, that it has actually really expanded the amount of you know black people for sure. And also from different countries speaking different languages it's definitely expanded yeah well that's really cool so oh yeah so tell us how did you end up
2: going from that sort of teaching life and like living kind of with living life for now essentially how did you end up kind of owning the aftermath like that's huge
0: well I don't know, because I'm also trying to work on how not to tell so many Oprah-style (laughs) stories. Tell them, sell them, tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a friend. She calls me a broke Oprah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully soon you'll be like actual rich Oprah.
0: (laughs) I wish. All right, well, more so, I was saying before, like one of the life lessons I learned was to kind of try to live within my means. That's only because I hit a rock bottom where it's so broke, like I didn't have a savings. I was having trouble paying my rent and I had to borrow money from my friend to do that. And that created some tension between us. And it really made me to sit down and reflect on me. You know, what decisions have I been making and have they been the right ones? And which ones can I make to improve? Like, and I really said to myself, like, what have you achieved, Alicia? So you have some fun, you have a lot of great memories and experiences, great. But what does that mean moving forward? Yeah. And how old were you when you were having this sort of reckoning? Uh, I was about 29, 30.
2: Which is quite a pivotal time. So if you carry on, yeah.
1: It's around the time when people start going, what am I doing? <laughs> Regardless of where you are, what you do.
0: Yeah. Because you realize like that future, your vision for yourself is... It's calm, right? The future's calm. Time keeps moving. But you're like, all right, where is everything I thought I would have? And it wasn't there. You know, what I did have was a very small apartment, bills, you know, in trouble. (laughs) So I was like, all right. You know, I didn't discredit all my great experiences, but I began to think about what did they teach me about myself? And I realized I like doing events like I like throwing parties. I like being social and it's something that actually I realized had been a benefit to my social group and that I'm always organizing like the junk boat parties or the barbecues or like the murder mystery thing. And I was like, I enjoy that and that's something I think I can do for other people and maybe they can pay me some money. And so I started a company called All That Junk, which was a junk boat company where we threw junk boat events and, and parties and stuff like that. And I thought that would be good to do while I was a teacher, since I have the summers off largely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is a good side hustle for now. But then I realized the logistics of running a business was very interesting. Like it's actually where I knew what discipline was, but this is the first time I actually started to practice discipline in terms of record keeping, budgeting, taking down the data of marketing, creating a plan and trying to like really organize myself to make this happen. And I had a lot of misses, some hits, but it was a great experience that taught me that I actually enjoy business. There's a lot of creativity that can go into business and it's a way to make dreams happen, not just to dream them, but to execute them. So after I did all that junk for a while, I began to really reflect use this experience of the side hustle made me to reflect on my main hustle because the energy and discipline and commitment I was putting into my side hustle, I did not have in my main (laughs) hustle. (laughs) It was more like I was doing my job so I could have the money to do what I really wanted to do. And then at my job was like, I can use the Microsoft word. I can print stuff out. I can use the color copy <laughs> for
2: all my clients.
0: You know, I get this free kind of co-working space that they pay me to come to. But my <laughs> boss didn't think so. I
2: understand it,
0: all. And I was told, you know, I got to step it up at my, you know, at my main job. And I was like, you know what, uh, I probably should. And a really good friend of mine spoke to me very seriously. And this is why everyone needs good friends. Like your good friends will talk to you straight. They will say no when you need to hear no. They will take the conflict for you because they care about you. And my friend said to me, like, Alicia, I see so much of you and you're all that junk business. And I see how hard you're working. It, it is like the best of you is there. But you need to do that for your main job. That's just your money. She's like, I know you can do better and you should be doing better. And you really need to get your ish together, right? I heard her, you know, because she was right. But then I was like, no, I don't want to. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, I was like, I'm just going to start a business that can be my main hustle. I don't want to put all that into this job because I don't believe in it. I don't believe in what they want me to do. I don't believe in their philosophy into teaching and what it means to be a teacher. And I was like, and I don't want to do it. But I did realize that that in some sense meant losing that security. Now, of course, I didn't know about protests and pandemic and all that was going to be afterwards. What that meant about loss of security. But... At that time, I was like, fuck it, you know, I got to do me, be me, and if I'm going to be the best of me, it's going to be doing my own thing. And so that's where the aftermath came from, because I realized by doing the events that I started to build a, a community. I had a connection to other event organizers, and I was thinking if I could be the venue, I could definitely fill the days with events from my own events, from the people I knew who were doing events. And I knew we needed a space like this in Hong Kong as well. So I knew there was a need and there was a possibility. Now, I didn't have the money. I was telling y'all before, like, I was broke, <laughs> <laughs> And that was a challenge for sure. But like I was telling someone else the other day, like the challenge of finding investment for a bar, as someone who's never even been a waitress, I think I could only done in Hong Kong, Hong Kong has these strange opportunities and, and privilege that I am not used to because you don't get this shit in the US. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I decided to to take advantage of that. So again, using all my resources at my office, I realized I wasn't going to move on to the next contract. So I spent a lot of time on the computer at work listening to podcasts of startups. So I really jumped into the startup culture of reading articles, watching YouTube videos. And I learned a lot um, from that about starting up a business and about investment. Because mm. I realized like, I don't have any money. I could get as much money as possible that HSBC would give me. I have just a little bit of savings that I had and it's like that's still nowhere near enough right I need other people to come in and give me their money yeah so I asked friends and family my family like oh hell no mostly well, because they don't have money like most of my family is you know their money goes to their bills and you know their needs as well they don't have like a hundred thousand dollars sitting around You know, some people do. That's the thing you don't realize until you come to Hong Kong. Like, some people do. They really do. They just have, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting in their account because they save their money and they have money. Like, for the most part, I came here. Like, I didn't know people who had $100. (laughs) My mom was very against it. She said, you have a good job. You're finally saving some money. She was really upset about it. Yeah, like, why would you give that up? Mm. Exactly. So that was a, definitely a point of tension in terms of trying to get money from family. Sometimes I wonder if she was right or not, but I, I'm on the large no on that one. On side of getting it from friends, actually, that was probably one of the most beautiful moments of my life was how my friends lived in me. Mm. And if they did have a spare couple of thousand they tucked away... They gave it to me, and it was. I was talking about that good friend of mine who said, you know, I think you can do better. I've seen you do better. You know, you need to get your stuff together." She invested
1: because
0: mm. she's like, "You're doing it, you know. You know, you're you are doing it. You you know you are trying to do it." And I was like, "Yeah, maybe not in the way that you thought <laughs> 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 I'm doing it in a different way." And she's like, "Yeah, this is this is really who you should be. People like." I met throughout this 14 years. Well, it was 14 at the time, but who I met as colleagues, as friends. They came around and they're like, all right, well, this is how much money I have. Let's do it.
2: Yeah. So it's essentially like crowdsourced.
0: It's crowdsourced. Uh, I did go online to an angel investor website. I did find an investor through that who became our, our majority investor. Right. Yeah, So I did meet a stranger But then when we met We like we became friends Because like, I'm a crazy lady And if you are giving me Enough money to open a bar you, you must have connected With my crazy So I really feel like that's where The aftermath came from It came from a lot of Just love and support From so many of my closest people In Hong Kong That really like meant a lot to me because speaking of those experiences that I've had like when I was at that point where I was reflecting like what have I achieved you know where's the money I achieved a lot and I didn't realize it at that time because I was like oh I just had these experiences had a good time but mm. those experiences I've had built something
2: yeah those are you know it's your connections and that's beautiful yeah
0: yeah I mean that's what a lot of the aftermath means to me It's is that all coming together
1: all of that love that you sort of built up over the 14 years yeah yeah that's awesome well,
0: that's amazing oh
2: well, thanks now so you managed to get the funding together you are building this thing you've learned about business but so you're still learning you're setting it up and then the pandemic hits because the aftermath is what four years old is that right
0: well I started around like doing build out Actually putting into motion in 2018, officially open in 2019.
1: Right. So then protest first and then
2: Yeah, so it was a protest, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh, God. And, and then had a
0: the good year. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: oh my word. So how has it been from that side to feel like, you know, you had this dream, you had this idea, you've managed to get it off the ground, you're building, you're growing, and then you get first the knock of the protest, then it's the pandemic. Like how have you worked through that? How has that whole process been?
0: Well, it's been probably one of my biggest life lessons, like, because it teaches you so much about yourself. You have to hustle so hard. In 2019 was the protest, but also, as I said before, like, I've never even been a waitress. I brought in a friend, uh, my friend Kyle, who we used to be colleagues. I knew Kyle for well over a decade to help me to manage this business. And Kyle's never worked in the bar. <laughs> but he's somebody I would trust with my money.
2: Right. Yeah. Mm, mm.
0: So I was like, well, well, we'll just figure it all out together. But it's hard. <laughs> it was hard. So we had that learning curve of how to run a food and beverage business. Because basically, that's also what it is to have employees to do all the HR work, to be on top of all the regulations. I think having employees was, that has been a major lesson because business is so much a people person thing. I don't know how introverts and people who are very like anti-social do it. It's so much about people, especially F&B because it's about your customers, making them feel at home and welcome and building that community with your customers and your clients. For us, it's those customers, those clients, as well as as we do events. It's our event organizers as people establishing those relationships. There's relationships with suppliers as well. And then there's your staff, which is some of your biggest relationships that you have to maintain. So, I mean, learning all about that and how to become a leader was a massive learning curve for me. And 2019, plus the protest, which was a thing like you my staff was having trouble figuring out how to get to work. Our event organizers couldn't come to the events. People coming to events were like, "No, I I don't want to risk it. It's crazy out there." I mean, but it was like also being in Hong Kong in a historical moment. Like you don't pick and choose when history comes to you.
2: Yeah, yeah you know, it's true.
0: So that was something unique in itself as well. Um, to balance out. And then of course, 2020. I was like, yes. January 2020, it's like, this is our year. We're going to knock it out. We know what we're doing now. You know, we got all our system and processes in place. You know, we're ready. <laughs> the, the COVID. <laughs> so I was Jeez, like, oh. a
1: run of bad luck.
0: Yeah. After I said that in January, three months later, we had to, you know, temporarily close. And it was closure for months, wasn't
2: it? Because was it that one that then went on? I can't remember the timing because there's just so many lockdowns, but I feel like it was that first one that it was for, because even when they opened for restaurants, they wouldn't open for other entertainment spaces.
0: So that was tricky and challenging to navigate as well. As everyone can see now, the government has been quite up and down in their regulations
2: mm-hmm.
0: and <laughs> their explanations. And so it's been very hard to plan anything and to kind of figure out what kind of strategy direction to take through it it was very difficult to navigate because there's all these sudden rabbits that were just being tossed in the way, especially for the aftermath, because our main source of revenue comes from when we do live music on the weekends.
2: Of course. yeah.
0: Having comedy and quizzes and poetry and even a little theater on the weekdays has been very helpful to us. It's been great for the community that helped to get us through the times when we didn't have live music, but when we couldn't even be open past 6 p.m., when some of the restrictions were just kind of, out of ridiculous, even that was affected, like our, our weekday events. So it just felt like being in the stranglehold when you're already paralyzed. There were times where I had to talk with the other people in the business and, and really talk to my investors and stuff about what's gonna happen with the aftermath. And if we were going to close or not. And for me, that's also facing like bankruptcy, just kind of really, I don't know, like um, when you put so much into something and you finally are able to give birth to it and then, you know, you have to put your baby, you know, away. And that was very difficult for me.
1: Not because there was anything wrong with the baby or anything, just the external environment and it almost didn't have a chance to like, get to its full potential is probably more heartbreaking because you could see how it could have gone.
0: Exactly. Like if the business wasn't working because it, the idea just wasn't there, you know, the market's not there. I would have taken it. I'm be like, okay, the market's not there, I was wrong, but since the market was there and when we were able to fully operate and do what we do, because we do it well, the money was coming in and people were enjoying what we were doing and happy with it. And the business was growing. So that's why it was really hard. You know, I I listened and I was open to the discussion of, you know, dissolving the business. But then I was like, nah, I don't really want to. <laughs> <So I do. laughs> I'm going to scrape, crawl, beg and borrow. So uh, it's been really a rough road the last couple of years. It's taken everything out of me. Hustle, drive, energy, not even like money. Like I can't even think about it in terms of money because I don't have any. It's all gone. <laughs> so, you know, it's just more or less like hoping that this new plan forward in twenty twenty two where we're having the three different phases. First phase is to open up after ten PM for with kitchens. So if you're selling food you can open up after 6 p.m. or just be open in general and the next phase I think after that is for bars and clubs even with kitchens or not with kitchens to open and usually if they allow bars and clubs to open that also allows until like 12 a.m. which is going to be very helpful and then I think in June will finally be the last phase where I think more events will be allowed such as live music and stuff like that which is very crucial for our business I was trying to do an event at PMQ, which is gonna be our first big event outside of the aftermath for about 350 people. But we had to totally scrap that uh, with the current fifth wave. We're hoping to be able to bring back our Battle of the Bands. We did the playoffs with 16 bands and then we had to do it all through recordings. So we had to do live recordings of the playoffs and then our judges will watch the recordings and then we asked people to watch the, the live recordings and to vote. And now we're hoping to do the finale in person at the aftermath.
2: Oh, that would be amazing. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. That sounds really cool. That sounds really, really cool. I have two very quick questions, one which will be the final one for this section. So one quick one. How did you come up with the name The Aftermath?
0: Oh, well, I'm trying to have a think, right? Like... Of what to call it. Because I want to kind of incorporate like nightlife. I want you to get like a nightlife vibe from it. And when I was in New York, there was like a blog called Last Night's Party, which I used to follow. And I always used to try to get into their parties or whatnot. So I was like, I don't I can't call it Last Night's Party. That's lame. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then I was like, oh. What else could I call it? Like after the party or after party. And then I was like, no, that's the name too. And I was just going through a lot of different names. I even had the morning after written down on the list. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we were like, no, that's awful. And then I came to the aftermath. I was like, okay, I'm just going to stick with that. That sounds right.
2: Yeah, great name, great name. And then final question is, So if you had to sum it up, your journey so far, looking back, what's been your biggest learning so far?
0: Oh, damn. I don't know. Everything's connected, though. So it's hard to say. Like, I'm one of those people who believe that each experience is connected. And that's how, like, I couldn't come to one big conclusion without all the other ones.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because I felt like I believe you have to be in that space to accept it. And without those other past experiences, you couldn't be in that space to to accept yeah. that. Yeah. So I don't know if I have a big one.
2: I guess maybe that's it—the fact that everything is interconnected. Like that—that's yeah. always the learning. Yeah. That like you have to kind of go through it to get to the next bit to learn the next bit and so on.
0: Yeah, like because like, if you ask me, like, what's the, like the biggest thing that's happened to me? I'm getting married, and uh, like oh, you know, wow. yeah, congratulations! Yeah, no, thanks. Even though, like, yeah, I have the aftermath and the experience of opening this business and, and kind of, like, trying to make this dream happen. It's definitely a big experience, but through that, I've met my fiancé. And then the experience of that personal journey, you know, uh, as a just Alicia, you know, not Alicia, who's trying to do the aftermath, but just yeah, Alicia. Just Alicia, yeah. Yeah, of, you know, just, like, You guys know, like, that experience of opening up, being vulnerable, accepting love, and, you know, all that. That's a whole nother thing, too, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) All right.
1: Yeah, okay, so due to time it's probably best for us to switch to the next section of the podcast which is the week in the life so in this section what we're trying to do is get an aggregate of what a typical week for you in hong kong is like what the weeks tend to look like what weekends tend to look like and then you know like we have a lot of bank holidays and public holidays so what
0: you would typically tend to get into oh man that's hard right to say because my stuff is all over the place <laughs> it's all, it's been so all up and down um Typically, like when Aftermath is running normally and open, I'm working there on the weekends. So I usually work there from Tuesday to Sunday. Mm. And I haven't been on holiday or on vacation in like four years. So I haven't left Mm -hmm. home in four years.
2: (laughs) Wow, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been intense. Work-wise, that takes up a lot of my time. But otherwise, Tuesdays are usually my date nights when I can. And I like spend them with my honey. (laughs) (laughs) I make time for friends. Uh, I do a lot of lunches when I'm working, especially like lunch, brunch. My friends come to the bar to visit me and they love hanging out in the aftermath. Because like I was saying before, like I had friends who came in and invested. So it feels like home for them too. And uh, then my other friends make, it feels like they like to pretend they invest it. And then they like to hang out. <laughs> so a lot of times, like I just hang out, they'll just come down and be like, hey, we want to chill or talk or, oh, this, this happened to me. So I came down to talk to you about it, you know, stuff like that. So, so that's what happens when the bars open. Like that's more of my, my typical.
1: Yeah. What about any sort of activities, Hong Kong specific activities? Or do you sort of engage in like, are you a hiker is this a <laughs> i
0: had a hiking period like i had like a few years where i was like really into hiking and i was fit like i was really fit that was in my fifth period that's when my boobs were up here and, like i had some, some muscle you know like <laughs> I mean, yeah i was doing some trail running
2: oh, really? oh wow that's yeah, like the next level <laughs>
0: Oh, I was like trail running Sunset Peak and stuff. Yeah, I, lo- I love hiking in Hong Kong. It's really beautiful hikes. For me, some of the best moments are like after the hike, where you, you like go for your after hike beer and just kind of recap. <laughs> Very
2: important.
1: Very important. Very <laughs> important. Especially if there's yeah. a beach at the end of it. So there's like a beach. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. I love going to
0: beaches. I learned to swim in Hong Kong.
1: Before oh, yeah. I came to Hong Kong,
0: I didn't know how to swim. Yeah. Mm. I had a colleague. She's from South Africa. She was a lifeguard there. And she could not believe that I did not know how to swim. So she's like, at least I can teach you how to swim. And she taught me how to swim. Oh, that's pretty cool. It changed my life. I mean, I would go on jump roads and stuff before she taught me how to swim. And I get in the little, you know, the little like light for server thing, or I hold on to like one of those floaties and someone had to pull me back. (laughs) But (laughs) it is so weird because I grew up on the beach in New Jersey. Like I I grew up on the Jersey Shore, but you just didn't go out too far. You just stayed in the the waves and stuff like that. But now I have no fear. I want to snorkel. I want to scuba dive my relationship to the sea and to water, it's so different. And, you know, it really is life-changing. And also, of course, helps you to really enjoy Hong Kong even more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's
1: like, I uh, was yeah. saying it to Annie that it's like getting a driver's license back home. Back home, when you get a driver's license, you have access to like, more places right whereas hong kong learning to swim gives you access to more of hong kong because then you're doing junks completely different you're doing wakeboarding it completely different you're like if you're adventurous enough you can swim across the coast and that sort of stuff you just expand your hong kong capacity
2: yeah yeah no very true very very true oh fair that i mean yeah no that sounds lovely so now on to the final section of the podcast which is a quick fire round And here, as you know, we will be asking a host of random questions. And the aim is to just answer the first thing that comes to mind. We might judge you, we might not. Oh, sure. (laughs) So, over to you.
1: All right. Awesome. So, first question. Who is your favorite Disney character?
0: Uncle Scrooge from DuckTales. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Random. Okay, great.
1: Next question. What dish do you cook the best? What is your go-to dish?
0: Well, I did make a really good cottage pie one time, <laughs> which I still think is my best dish, but I don't think it could be my go-to because I just think that was some sudden magic.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but my fish has improved. I do a nice like halibut. Okay, mm.
1: awesome. What makes you angry? Apathy. Apathy. That's a good. What advice would you give your past self before you move to Hong Kong? If you could go back and whisper something into 23 year old Alicia's ear.
0: Save your money. <laughs> mm. Save your money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: What is most likely to distract you when you're working from home? My boyfriend. <laughs> what mythical creature would you believe was actually real? Dragons. Good one. Yeah. yeah. Do you kill bugs you find inside or do you? Take them out and release them.
0: Cockroaches, dead, <laughs> yes, and <laughs> die on the spot.
1: <laughs> no love for cockroaches.
0: But what are you going to do? You're going to put a cockroach in your hand <laughs> hold it like this and be like, fly little cockroach, fly. <laughs> He's
1: coming straight back in as well, bastard. Would you rather fly or have super strength?
0: Fly, but no, I don't know. Let me think about that. Cause like you could fly into something and die. Yeah,
2: fair, fair play, fair
1: play. I feel like flying is more enjoyable. I feel like super strength is a utility, whereas flying, you can like imagine a sunny day, you could, yeah, you know, like the views, get some music going, especially if it's warm. You know, you could actually really enjoy it. Where super strength is, you know, lifting stuff and moving things. You know, it's a it's a builder's job.
2: Well, To the fact that If you were flying Like bear in mind You can't even fly a drone Like more and more In certain areas You really think If you could fly Like the government Wouldn't be like Who the fuck (laughs) is that Right Get him Yeah (laughs) it's Get her (laughs) And like put you In some weird facility And
1: You would dress up Like a UFO So people wouldn't know It was a person
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) paint yourself (laughs) green (laughs) What would be a good Spy code name for you I mean I already have A good one in mind I would say broke (laughs) oprah
0: um i think that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) all right awesome
2: oh fantastic thank you so much for chatting with us alicia it's been honestly like really interesting to hear and it's such a different perspective on the hong kong experience so it's been amazing to have you on the show where can people find you online
0: i don't have particularly like a personal social media presence, but they can find The Aftermath on Instagram and Facebook. I do all the social media for The Aftermath and for um, its Instagram as well. So that's like talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) And
2: of course, for our people in Hong Kong, The Aftermath is on Wyndham, so check it out.
1: Yep. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, homegrown the podcast and also go to our new website homegrownthepodcast.com we've got a bunch of stuff on there
2: and this is our last interview of the season i can't believe it's last interview
1: of the season
2: (laughs) (laughs) but don't fear, because we'll be back next week and it'll be just flo and i obviously we promised all those like book reviews and all that stuff and like just catching up over the season all that all that stuff all that stuff and
1: yes we're obviously starting to plan the next season season five homegrown podcast so all the feedback that you can send us would be great we'll see if we can put some of the new great suggestions that you've had from last time in until next time bye bye
2: bye
0: bye